What's up, Fight Fans? Welcome to episode number 156 of The Neutral Corner. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. And yes, I realized a week ago I said Boxing Monthly Magazine and Boxing Monthly Magazine (laughs) to start off the episode. I was really tired, guys. Forgive me. I also had a screw-up last week. Uh, where I mixed up my Charlo brothers. So, hey, you know, when you're doing this by yourself and you're crazy, crazy tired, you don't have somebody live to bounce ideas and things off of, sometimes you miss things. I apologize for that. But this episode, number 156, for the week of February 2nd, we have a big announcement, okay? Before I get into the news and notes, boxing-related stuff, I just wanted to let you guys know, TNC is officially on Spreaker, So those of you who consume your podcasts through Spreaker, you listen to them through there, we are on there. But I need your guys' help, even those of you who don't do it, because here's the deal, okay? We're brand new to Spreaker. We don't really have any followers or anything yet. Uh, So I will post a link in a pinned comment on the YouTube version of TNC this week. I'll tweet it out. I'll post it in a comment on the SoundCloud version. I'll get it out there to you guys, okay? I need you to go to Spreaker. I need you to follow us on Spreaker because Spreaker eventually will distribute the podcast to Spotify, iHeartRadio, and some other platforms. But Spotify and iHeartRadio are two big platforms, right? However... We're brand new on Spreaker, and the the rules, the way it works is they don't distribute over to those other platforms until you have a certain number of followers, a certain number of plays, downloads, et cetera, et cetera. So your fee for episode 156 of The Neutral Corner, I need all of you guys to go over to Spreaker, follow us there, okay, and get the word out about that because uh, we're, we got a lot of catch up. We're playing catch up because we're brand new there. I uploaded like five or six episodes, uh, I think episodes 150 through 155, just to get some episodes up there. But I did that like just this weekend, right? So we're fresh, new to Spreaker, no plays, nothing yet. So we need you guys to get over there. I did have an old account. I didn't even realize. I opened an account on there like years ago just to listen to podcasts. And that old account has some followers. So uh, that is not the current account. We just opened a new account this weekend, literally this weekend. It's brand new. So those of you who followed me way back you know, a few years ago and you think you're following me on Spreaker, you're not because that old account, we're not using that. So again, I will post the link. You guys uh, search for it, find me, and you'll see it's the new logo. That old account has the old MOB logo. If you're following that one, unfollow. Go to the new one. That is your fee. You guys know I don't charge a monetary fee for this podcast I bring to you every single week, but I do have a fee. It's usually a task. It's usually some form of homework for those of you who are new to the show. And this week, I'm asking you, go over to Spreaker, give us a follow. And those of you who love to uh, listen to your podcast through Spreaker, boom, now we're there. And you can start downloading the podcast every week. You don't have to use your data or anything like that. You can download it right to your phone, go to the gym, do what you do, all right? On a subway, on a train, whatever. So that is the big news with this episode, guys. And that is your fee for this episode, all right? Please, please do that. Let's get into news and notes in the world of boxing. 
Okay, so I was hoping to have some news for you guys related to Anthony Joshua. They are just about, they should be really, really soon, like within the hour, or at least within the next day or so, uh, announcing his fight with Dillian White for April. I know that they're going back and forth with Dillian White and Jarrell Miller, and they've been negotiating. They, they've been kind of offering both guys the fight and just seeing what sticks and what, you know, what works. So it, it's gonna be one of those two guys, but I feel very strongly <clears throat> it's probably gonna be Dillian White, uh, but I can't say it's signed. I, I can't, it's not news yet, okay? So uh, at the time that I'm recording this, not signed, sealed, delivered, but my feeling is it will be Dillian White in April. It will be Jarrell Big Baby Miller later this year. It's possible that fight comes to New York. If he fights Big Baby Miller later this year, it's possible that comes to New York. I think it'd make a lot of sense for Eddie Hearn, who's trying to promote in America. He's got the second biggest brand in boxing behind Canelo Alvarez to bring a fight against a big trash talker New Yorker to New York. I think it makes sense. And they can find out if the British fans will travel and how uh, just how popular AJ is in the States or how popular he can be. So anyway, kind of like a rumor, not news, but I'm thinking possibly by the time I post this thing, it might be out there. But uh, actually, you know, it might take a couple days. Who the hell knows? You never know with these things. Anyway, definite news about George Groves. George Groves uh, announced that he is retiring from boxing. And, you know, uh, a fan favorite, especially in the UK, really fought all the top guys in and around his division uh, for the last really better part of a decade. Won some, lost some. You know, a lot of people are going to remember the, that big, big rematch with uh, with uh, Carl Frotch, where he was you know, brutally stopped. But he also had some other big fights, you know, including the World Boxing Super Series finale. Again, he lost that fight too. And he's been kind of sitting and thinking about that, you know, his career after that loss to Callum Smith. And he's decided to call it a day. Good for him, man. He carved out a good career for, for himself. He's, he wasn't the most talented, athletic guy, not the most skilled guy. But after that loss to Carl Frotch in that rematch, a lot of people wrote George Groves off. And he was able to learn from that, come back, uh, win some fights. Yeah, they were domestic level fights for the most part, but he was a brand over in the UK. And he did very, very well. And I, I just think, you know, to carve out kind of a second half of a career, even though it wasn't truly well, half of his career after Groves. I mean, it was he was late into his career by that point, but still, to have a second life after that, good by him. And we've seen other fighters do that in the past. It takes a lot of discipline and dedication to come back from a, a devastating knockout like that and, and carve out some good quality wins. So good luck to him in retirement. And personally, I hope this isn't a typical boxing retirement where a guy retires and comes back in a year. Groves has nothing to prove. He's clearly... Over the hill, past his best. He was never a guy I would call an A-level, elite-level fighter or anything like that to begin with. So why come back? There's no big, big, huge fight for him to come back to. It's not like there's a massive payday waiting for him. So good luck in retirement, and I hope he stays retired. A guy who carved out a good career for himself when you see you know, like where he started. Good for him. Okay, um, as far as a fight coming up, Miguel Flores, who was scheduled to fight Leo Santa Cruz, withdraws with an ankle injury from that fight, but it is still going down. 
February 16th, um, Leo Santa Cruz is fighting February 16th in Los Angeles at the Microsoft Theater. This will be PBC on Fox. He is going to fight Rafael Rivera from Tijuana, a fighter. And look, I understand he's a last minute replacement, kind of, although, you know, it's a few weeks away. But this dude has lost two of his last three. And Miguel Flores wasn't a world beater to begin with. So Leo Santa Cruz, after the two fights with Frampton, and, and honestly, everybody after that second fight with Frampton, not everybody, but, but most people wanted to see a rubber match. You know, they really wanted to see a rubber match, especially if Santa Cruz would have been willing to travel to the UK. I think that would have been really good for his brand. But him and his people really don't give a shit. I think they're, they are a brand in Los Angeles, and that's really all they care about. Because ever since those fights with Frampton, he fought Chris Avalos in October of 2017. That was in L.A., I believe, or the L.A. area. And then he fought Abner Mars last June. That was his only fight of 2018, and that was in L.A. So he understands, you know, yeah, because I think Avalos was at the StubHub Center. And Mars, uh, that might have been Staples. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. But last two fights in L.A., he's a brand there. He brings a crowd. And he doesn't really give a shit about fighting the top-level guys, it seems to me. Because he's with PBC. Gary Russell's with PBC. They both have titles in the same division. Why the hell shouldn't they fight each other and unify? Will we get that fight at the end of 2019, maybe, in the fall? I hope so. Because a fight between Santa Cruz and Russell, that's a good fight. It's one of the best fights you can make in, in the lower weight classes, at, at least you know between two American fighters. That's the East Coast, West Coast fight. It unifies titles. I think it makes a lot of sense. Why the hell wouldn't you do that? But anyway, he's going to fight Rafael Rivera, and he's going to beat the shit out of him and stop him at the Microsoft Theater in downtown L.A., and the L.A. fans will love it. Speaking of a guy getting beat down and knocked out, actually, he didn't get beat down. He was winning the fight, but he got knocked out. Marcellus Wilder was KO'd by a cab driver from Nebraska who has a record of 7-12. and 12. I think he's only got like a couple knockouts, and he's been stopped multiple times. Uh, yeah, I think it was the fourth round of a four-rounder. So Marcellus Wilder was fighting on the undercard of Thurman Lopez in Brooklyn. Deontay Wilder was there. And obviously, Deontay is the best of the, you know, the, the Wilder brothers. But they were going to try to you know, use Deontay's name to build up this Marcellus kid and you know, do something with him. But yeah, obviously, it's like uh, we've seen a lot, this with a lot of boxing brothers you know, a million times. But this dude was in a fight that he was supposed to win. And he was winning the fight. But he got clipped in the fourth round, badly knocked out. You can only find pictures of this. There's a bunch of videos talking about it on YouTube using the photo that was taken ringside of a badly concussed Marcellus Wilder on his ass you know, in the ring. But all they're doing is talking about it. And what's funny is a lot of those videos, they have more dislikes than likes because people you know, are pissed off at the clickbait. Anyway, the team has removed all videos of this from YouTube. Gone. Gone in a day. So just, again, there's no marketing here with Marcellus Wilder. He's through. You know, what little chance he had of being some sort of attraction is done. But his team, everybody around, has done their research because they've gone online and removed every damn video of that fight the only thing you the only place where maybe you can find a video of it is on Twitter, where people have tweeted 
videos they shot ringside. But there was only about you know three people in the stands during that fight. So good luck finding that shit on YouTube. If any of you find it, let me know. But I, I searched pretty hard for it on YouTube and I didn't find nothing other than that one photo that's circulating. But uh, look, man, you know, it happens. It's boxing. It's not really big news. Nobody, none of you knew who the hell Marcellus Wilder was before last weekend. I just thought it was worth men- mentioning because the damage control of the people. And it, look, every promoter does this to a certain degree. But the PBC guys, man, they will jump in there and remove shit from YouTube instantly. You know, Harold Sconyers dropped Deontay Wilder in a fight early in his career, and he was badly hurt, very badly hurt. You cannot find footage of that shit on YouTube. Not available. And we know there was video of it because people have talked about it. There was video out there. The team went in there and removed that shit. It's interesting how that works, man. Anyway, not a big news week right now. So sorry about that, guys. We're waiting on some news. We're waiting to hear from Gennady Golovkin. We're waiting to hear from Team Anthony Joshua. Those announcements are going to drop soon. I promise you guys, okay? And I, like I've been telling you, I still think Golovkin is going to sign with the zone. And I think he's going to do some sort of interesting cross-promotional kind of thing. But we're still waiting on the announcement. When we get it, you guys know I'm going to talk all about it. All right? Let's get to the review of what we saw last week. All right, let's start in Brooklyn, New York, where it was the Barclays Center PBC on Fox last Saturday, January 26th. And in the opener, Tugsok Nyambayar scored a unanimous decision in 12 rounds over Claudio Marrero. King Tug, a Mongolian now based in the Los Angeles area, 2012 Olympian from Mongolia, improves to 11-0. He's a uh, good-looking featherweight prospect, but he didn't look great in this fight. He definitely uh, showed some uh, chinks in his armor, which, you know, look, for, for the record, I've saw before. I think all of us did, right? He just, it's easy to look really impressive and just have nothing but knockouts when you're going up against cannon fodder. But when you're going up against a guy who has experience, as Marrero does, he has faced some quality fighters. I'm not going to use the word exposed. That shit's overused. And look, Nyambayar won the fight, clearly, but um, very closely, very, very closely. I thought he won, but it was competitive and close. And a couple of the scorecards were a little wide for most people's taste. So one judge had it 114-113, another had it 115-112, and another had it 116-111. Now keep in mind, Marrero was uh, docked a point in the 10th round for hitting on the break. So when you really look at it, one judge had this fight even. One judge had it 7-5, one had it 8-4. I thought 7-5 was fair. I could live with even. I thought the 8-4 the scorecard was too wide. But uh, I thought he edged the fight out. But is this guy, you know, the second coming? Is he, is he the next big thing? I don't know about that. His team needs to slow down a little bit. And we've seen this with several guys in recent years where everybody... These guys, you know, especially coming from the eastern part of the world with these big amateur records and, you know, Olympic experience, they want to get started and they want to get on the fast track. And I understand that. That's great. That's awesome. I wish more prospects would do that. But sometimes you got to pull it back a little bit and get your guy adjusted to the pro game. So, you know, in this fight, uh, Nyambar, King Tug, he went 12 hard rounds. He should improve from this. Let's keep an eye on him. 
Now in the co-main heavyweight action, Adam Kovnachi improved to 19-0 with 15 knockouts, all 258 flabby pounds of them with a second-round knockout over Gerald Washington. So Gerald Washington has been KO'd by all three of the top 10 uh, heavyweight fighters he's faced. All because he, he fought Wilder in Big Baby Miller in, uh, was that 2017? And was stopped by both of them. And then here, he, I think he came back last year and had one fight, you know, as a layup to get a, a win. And then goes up against the Polish fighter in Brooklyn and just absolutely blown out. So the thing with Gerald Washington, who is a big, strong uh, guy, played football. Um, the thing with football players, and I don't want to trigger any of you. I'm, I'm talking about American football for those of you uh, listening overseas. I'm not talking about football, football. I'm talking about American gridiron football. American football teaches you to squat down, square up, and hit your opponent. That's how you hit a guy, right? You use your shoulders, you wrap them up with your arms, you dive in almost like a wrestler. And it's something that the MMA guys do a lot when they tackle a dude and you know sit on his face and do all that stuff. So football players, they, they're athletic, they're strong, but they play for about 10 seconds at a time. And everything is about squaring up on your guy and, and nailing them, right? If you're a defensive player. If you're an offensive player, yeah, you use angles and everything to get around a guy, but you're still playing 10 seconds at a time. And if you're an offensive guy, 90% of the, play, like if you're a receiver, 90% of the plays you run are dummy plays because you know the ball's going to the other side of the field or you're running it, something like that. So you're just running a route you know, and you, maybe if the, if the play blows up, you try to get open, whatever. But it's very, very controlled. There's not a lot of, I, I understand there's some, but there's not a lot of improvisation in football. Not, once you get the ball, of course, it's all improvisation. But up until that point, it's like human chess. So when football players go into boxing, and about 99% of American football players, when they go into boxing, they're going to be heavyweights because football players are huge, most of them. When you go into boxing, it's all about angles. It's all about being small. It's about making the smallest target as possible with your body. It's basically doing the exact opposite of what you do in football, unless you're a wide receiver or a running back that uses angles, right? Some running backs are like a bowling ball and just go right up the middle. They, there's no nuance, you know? But some running backs are speed guys who run on the outside. Receivers, of course, you're giving angles and stuff. But receivers, you don't see a lot of wide receivers and tight ends and those types of guys going into boxing. Generally speaking, it's defensive players, um, uh, linebackers, you know, linemen, guys like that. Anyway, Washington just looks like a football player trying to box. He's too squared up and he can't go three minutes of a round. You know, because man, playing 10 second bursts and then having a second string, a third string, you know, a halftime that's 15 minutes, it's a lot different than being on your feet with a trained killer, but has two lethal weapons gloved up coming at you for three solid minutes. And then you only get a one minute break. That is so different from football. So I, I actually think the mentality of a football player with the contact and everything, that is applicable to boxing. But when I hear a lot of sports writers say, oh, all the best American heavyweights are in the NFL, I think that's a crock of shit. 
I understand some of them, okay? Obviously, a guy like Ray Lewis, who you know was with the Baltimore Ravens, he's retired now, works on Inside the NFL, that show on Showtime. I think he would have been a great boxer. I think there's other guys, uh, you know, maybe a guy like J.J. Watt, a guy playing right now, he'd be an awesome heavyweight boxer. There's certain guys that can use angles and space. Like when Watt blows up the line and comes around the line to get to the quarterback, that's a you know somewhat of a boxing move. But even those guys would have to lose a lot of weight and lose a lot of stiffness. They look explosive and athletic on a football field, much different in a boxing ring. So anyway, just Gerald Washington, great guy, awesome guy. You know, I know him uh, pretty well, you know, and, and saw him at a lot of functions and stuff when, when we lived out in L.A. Tiffany knows him as well. Him and his trainer, John Pullman, awesome people. It's just not going to work in boxing, though, dude. It's just not going to work. All right. For, for Kavnachi, you know, exciting fighter, entertaining TV fighter, but not an elite level heavyweight. He's not going to beat Deontay Wilder, not going to beat Anthony Joshua. I'm not even sure he beats a guy like Luis Ortiz, not going to beat a Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury would eat his ass, seriously. And Fury might actually be able to stop him. And Fury's not a guy who stops guys. But he might be able to stop the Polish fighter. However, in New York, large Polish community. In Chicago, large Polish community. They really should take it on the road to Chicago with Kovnachi. He's going to make for fun fights for the fans. He throws a lot of punches. He goes for it. He's got that kind of skin and everything that's going to bleed. He's going to cut. So he's going to make for some fun TV uh, fights, fun fights at the venue. And he's going to do numbers because the Polish fans are really super dedicated. They travel and they spend their money on their fans. They're really supportive of their fighters. They spend their money. So PBC knows they got something with this dude. Not ready for a title shot. And I don't expect them to throw him in there for a title anytime soon. I think uh, let this guy get a few more fights at this level, build him up a little bit more, get him in there with somebody better than Washington, build him up a little bit more. But I just, I don't see anything here, guys, that's going to trouble Wilder or Joshua or Fury. That's just what I see. Anyway, let's talk about the main event. Keith, one-time Thurman, improves to 29-0 with a unanimous decision win over 12 rounds defends his WBA super welterweight title for the fourth time, beats Jose Cito Lopez in a fight that ended up being better than expected. And I think a lot of people thought this was going to be an absolute blowout. I think I told you guys, don't be surprised this shit goes rounds, right? I, th I told you guys that last week, or at least a couple weeks ago. I remember talking about that. Or maybe it was Twitter where I was saying, this fight's going to go rounds, man. Thurman hasn't fought in over or almost two years, 22 months to be exact. So we saw Thurman's look good early. I thought through the first six rounds, he clearly controlled the action. Then in the seventh round, all hell broke loose. Jose Suto Lopez uh, cracked him, cracked, I think it was a right hand, cracked Thurman with a right hand, and it was like an overhand looping kind of shot. And those shots weren't working for him early on, but when you're in there with a guy that has that much ring rust, eventually even those telegraph shots that you can see from a week ago will start to land. Thurman looked a little rusty, a little tired. Understandable, though. However, Thurman badly hurt in the seventh round, 
You could say maybe it was a 10-8 round, but I wouldn't go that far because to me, after that huge punch that landed and, and Thurman was hurt, Lopez had a minute and a half to work with. And Thurman just moved backwards. He didn't really clinch. He clinched a little bit. But mostly all he did was move backwards and circle to his left, Lopez's right. And Lopez couldn't cut the ring off for shit. If Lopez would have simply, piv not pivoted, sidestepped to his right and cut Thurman off and thrown some looping right hands, aimed them for the chest, maybe even like the solar plex, you know, at the very top of the abs, right there, the first two of your six pack, throw right there, get Thurman to drop the guard just a little bit, man. He could have got dude out of there. He had a minute and a half to work with and he simply couldn't do it. He couldn't land another big punch. So I, strong 10-9 round for Lopez. I wouldn't go 10-8. Anyway, the second half of the fight was competitive. It was controlled by Thurman, but Lopez clearly won some rounds. I thought he won uh, maybe four rounds in the fight. I thought eight rounds to four was a good quality score. You know, 116-112, that's how it should have been scored. One judge, Don Ackerman, scored at 113-113. He had Lopez winning the fight because I forgot to mention, in the second round, Lopez got dropped by a nice little check hook from Thurman that just caught a lunging Lopez off balance and dropped him. He was fine, he wasn't hurt. At least not bad. You know, he was buzzed, but he wasn't hurt. He was, was definitely not as hurt as Thurman was in the seventh round. But minus a point, right? So Ackerman, really, if you don't take that point away, had Lopez winning this fight, 114-113, which means he had an even round in there. That's a horrible scorecard. Keith Thurman clearly won this damn fight, okay? It was competitive. The second half of the fight, you can argue... The second half of the fight was three rounds to three. You could even make an argument that round seven through 12, Lopez won four rounds to two. I wouldn't be mad at you if, you if you said that. But the early lead that Thurman had built up, where I thought he really won the first six rounds, at least the first five rounds, he won the damn fight. So for Don Ackerman to, to turn in that scorecard, which is some of these judges, man, they're just not good. I understand it can be difficult to score fights sometimes. I understand. But if you're a professional judge, remember, I'm using the word professional, okay? And this is a championship fight. And I know, is Keith Thurman the undisputed champion of the welterweight division? No, he's a titleist. But he deserves the number one ranking based on his quality of work. So he is the number one welterweight. And technically... When I say number one welterweight, let me just pause before some of you get crazy in the comment section. I'm not saying he beats Crawford. I'm not saying he beats Spence. I'm saying Thurman is more accomplished than them at 147 pounds. That's why I say Thurman is the number one ranked welterweight right now. I don't think he's the best though, okay? Sorry, had to slide it in there because I know some of you can't wait to jump on a motherfucker when I say something that's a little bit off, okay? Anyway, it's a title fight. Don Ackerman, you need to be able to see and judge correctly what the hell is going on in the fight. And so many of these judges routinely turn in stupid scorecards. Anyway, in the end, it didn't matter. Thurman gets the W, which he deserved. Is Manny Pacquiao next? Probably. I'm starting to think they might go in that direction. Now, you guys know for the last few weeks, as that fight's been talked about, because Freddie Roach wants it, Manny Pacquiao wants it. 
uh, you know, I said, look, man, this is too risky for the PBC because they ultimately want to put Pacquiao in there with Mayweather again. But I've been thinking about this. I think they realize Thurman is just about ready to expire. His, his due date is pretty much 2019, okay? He is, if he was in there with a top 10 ranked, man, if he was in there with a top 15 ranked welterweight in an actual true welterweight, Lopez is really a blown up lightweight. He wouldn't have got out of that seventh round this Saturday night, right? He wouldn't have made it. So, and I understand ring rust, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he is just about ready to take that L, that first L. And I don't think it's going to be pretty when he does. I think it's going to be a stoppage. It's not going to be on the cards. So if they place Thurman in there with Pacquiao, okay, it's going to Vegas. Maybe, maybe Thurman ekes out, just barely ekes out a decision win against Pacquiao. Highly controversial. The Filipino fans will absolutely blow up the internet. Anybody who suggests on any YouTube video that Thurman deserves a decision will have 10 billion dislikes on the video, okay, from the crazed fans. But I think it's very possible we could see Thurman, let's say Thurman wins a controversial decision, or even clearly 7-5, against Pacquiao. Okay, he's an established brand, and now you can put Spence in there against him. You could even put Floyd in against Thurman. And Floyd just might have just enough left, especially in Vegas, where Floyd runs that, he runs that state. If you run Vegas, you run Nevada. Floyd could get a decision win over Thurman. Or you put Spence in there with Thurman. Spence knocks Thurman out. Spence is the big guy now. And you can start, hopefully, building up a fight between Spence and Terrence Crawford. If Pacquiao wins, suddenly Pacquiao is back. He's rejuvenated. The fountain of youth. Both shoulders are good. We got to make the Mayweather rematch. So there's different ways to spin this stuff, okay? Um, so I, I absolutely believe that Thurman Pacquiao, it might be possible. Call me crazy, but I actually think it might be possible. And I think it might be possible this year. It depends on a few things. But I'm telling you, don't shoot the messenger. It could happen. Okay. Toyota Center, Houston, Golden Boy Promotions had a card on DAZN. And in the opener, undefeated 140-pound prospect out of nearby Dallas, Texas, Virgil Ortiz. Probably, or no probably about it, he's the best-looking prospect Golden Boy has. Improves to 12-0 with 12 knockouts. Scores a fifth-round stoppage over a Mexican cabbie. Uh, his opponent has lost every single time he's fought outside of Mexico. So no surprise here, Ortiz mowed through this guy. At least he went almost five rounds. I've been saying, I talked about it last week, I think in 11 pro fights coming into Saturday night, this kid had like 19 rounds or some shit. So now I think in like 12 fights, he's got 24 rounds. He needs rounds. He needs to, again, I'm not going to compare him to King Tug, okay? But Virgil Ortiz is blowing through everybody. He looks really, really good. But are they developing craft. I mention this because it's going to be relevant when I talk about the main event, okay? But before I talk about the main event, let's talk about the co-main, where Khan Shu scores a unanimous decision over Jesus M. Rojas of Puerto Rico. So you had a Chinese fighter and a Puerto Rican fighter. 
And I didn't realize Houston was this diverse because I looked in the crowd, I saw a lot of Chinese people. There was a Japanese fighter in the main event and I saw a lot of Japanese people. I saw Chinese flags, Japanese flags. That was pretty cool. Was not expecting that in Houston, Texas. Anyway, uh, Shu wins the WBA featherweight title off of Rojas with a controversially wide unanimous decision. Uh, the scores 116-112, 117-111, 118-110. And this was a very entertaining fight. I thought this fight was going to be a dud, possibly. I just didn't know that much about Shu. You don't know about these Chinese fighters. We always know Japanese fighters bring it. Uh, you know, there's fighters from certain countries that have reputations for bringing it, for always coming in and fighting hard. Chinese fighters don't necessarily have that reputation. But Shu came in there and uh, man, over 2,000 punches thrown from both fighters. So very good fight. The fight of the year so far in 2019, I, I know we're only a month in, but it's an early contender. And it will definitely finish in the top 10, uh, at least, maybe higher. We'll see. But many people feel Rojas won. Many people feel a draw was just. Even the people that felt Shu won felt it was a 7-5 type of win. So for one judge to have it 118-110, that's you know 10 rounds to two, that's just not the fight most people saw. So I, I talked about judging earlier over in Brooklyn. Some of the judging in Houston wasn't very good either. And there's a lot of conspiracy theories. Oh, Shu got the decision because uh, he's Chinese and there's over a billion people there and this is going to be big, big business. Guys, this was a fight in Texas and Rojas is, I, I believe he has a deal with Golden Boy Promotions. He's fought some of their guys. He's fought several of their guys. So he's not somebody that, he's someone they use as an opponent but to my knowledge, Khan Shu is not a Golden Boy Promotions fighter. So, you know, conspiracy theories that Golden Boy paid off the judges to make sure Shu won, I don't see that. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. If they just inked Khan Shu to a huge promotional contract, okay, I'm with you. But on paper, now, you know, Rojas is Puerto Rican. Puerto Ricans generally don't get a fair shake in Texas if they're fighting a Mexican fighter. But this is a Chinese dude. So you had a Puerto Rican and a Chinese dude in Texas. So the conspiracy theory that this was, you know, just a way to get money, I don't know. Maybe the WBA wants some of that Chinese money because, you know, you've got over a billion, a billion and a half people. If 10% of that country watches, you know, Kanshu fight, cha-ching, you know what I'm saying? Zoshi Ming showed us all of that, right? So I... Maybe the WBA wanted some of them dollars, and maybe that can be your conspiracy theory. But I just don't see how Golden Boy cashes out here with Shu winning. The WBA sure does, because now they've got a titleist from China, and they're loving that shit. So maybe that's where you go with the conspiracy theory. Either way, um, Rojas complained about the decision. He wants a rematch. Will he get it? I don't know. It's up to the BA to mandate something like that. And do you guys think they're going to do that? We've seen them do it before, but I don't see them doing it here. I'd love to be proved wrong because I'd love to see these two fight again, but we'll see what happens. Okay, main event. Jaime Mungia scores a unanimous decision over Takashi Inoue for the third defense of his WBO junior middleweight title. 
To me, the scores felt a bit wide. Two judges had this thing a shutout. I don't know if I saw a shutout. Mungia clearly won. He dominated the fight, okay? But Inoue won some rounds, in my opinion. He won at least two or three rounds. And I tweeted about this, that Inoue won more rounds against Mungia, I felt, than Broner won against Pacquiao. And if you just look at, forget punch numbers for a second, just look at body language. Inoue was coming forward all night, taking the fight to Mungia, mostly just getting the shit beat out of him, but he gave some back. And I will use the word exposed, exposed, further exposed, huge defensive lapses that Mungia has. One thing Mungia does, and this is something that fighters are taught in Mexico a lot. You see this with a lot of Mexican fighters. I'm not talking about Mexican-American fighters. I'm talking about Mexican fighters from Mexico. They are taught to roll with punches. And it's something a lot of them get too comfortable with. Somebody like Canelo Alvarez can do it because he's very, very... I think he's a slick fighter. I think his slickness and in movement with his upper body is very underrated. And he's gotten away with rolling with the shot. Let me explain what this is for some of you guys who don't know what I'm saying. Say, uh, say you're fighting someone and they throw a left hook. You see it coming, but your hands are down. You know instinctively that you're not going to be able to get your hands up in time for that shot. So what you do is right before it lands... I'm talking about a nanosecond before it lands. You spin your head to the left. So in other words, you catch the inertia of the punch and you move with it. It's almost like an Aikido type of principle, right? Some of the, some of the Eastern martial arts teach this kind of movement. And it's something a lot of Mexican fighters are taught in the gyms down there. Tijuana, you know, you see it a lot. I think you see it more with some of the fighters from that part, you know, Sinaloa, you know. But it's, it's something taught widely in Mexico. I just see it there more than anywhere else. And Munguia was doing that with a lot of the looping overhand rights that Inouye was throwing. So they were landing, but Munguia was spinning with them, taking a lot of the steam off the punch. However, some of them still landed pretty damn hard. And if Inouye had any skill or technique or punching power, this could have been a much different fight. Inouye smothers any chances he has of having any power because he gets right in a dude's chest and just throws 100% arm punches with these looping overhand rights and lefts. I think Mungia didn't really respect the power of Inouye, not known as a power puncher, doesn't punch straight with power or anything like that. Inouye, tough, tough dude, amazing heart, good chin, I mean really good chin, Great will, skill, determination, not skill, will and determination. But Mugia did not respect this dude's craft or skill and power. So he rolled with those punches. I get it, right? And so the punches may have looked kind of flashy and stuff, ringside or on TV. But if you looked at Mugia's face after the fight, he wasn't that beat up. If you look at Inoue's face, he was pretty damn beat up. However... Enough of those punches from Inoue landed fairly flush, enough, that I think he took a couple of rounds. And for the, the judges really screwed up on that. And it just left a bad taste in people's mouth. The referee sucked. And not that this would have had any bearing on the outcome of the fight, but I saw, I saw Mungia throw low blows throughout the fight 
He was pushing off. He was using his forearms. And in a way was fighting rough. He was, he was you know, bending rules and doing some, some dirty stuff. But the ref only warned Inoue. He repeatedly warned Inoue for punching on the back of the head when Mungia was spinning with shots. And that's why some of them landed on the back of the head. But he was also bending down and crouching and doing different things that caused him to get hit in the back of the head. Almost every punch that landed in the back of the head on Mungia was Mungia's fault. So and then you'd see Mungia punch Inoue right in the back of the head on purpose, punch him in the balls, you know, push off with his forearm, and the ref just didn't warn him once. So that kind of shit, again, I'm not saying this would have had any difference in the outcome of the fight, but you just would like to see a ref call the fight fairly. I saw a very one-sided ref in that fight. I had never seen that ref before. I hope I don't see him again. I just thought that he, he just way too one-sided. And had he had the ref called the fight one-sided, warned both fighters the same amount, broke up the fighters when it made sense. I thought when they got on the inside a few times, he broke it up way too quick. It just, he just, I did not like his refing job. Had he done a good job, had the judges given in away two or three rounds, I'd feel better about all of this. Does it make a damn difference in the end of, you know, at the end of the day? Not really, because Mugia still wins. It's just, you know, you guys, I don't know, you come here to this show because I'm going to tell you the truth about shit like this. Other boxing writers just kind of skip over it because they don't want to lose the press credential. This is the kind of shit I'm just going to talk about. When I see things like this, that look like a golden boy ref. It just, it looked like a Team Mungia ref. And again, had no no bearing on the outcome of the fight. I just don't like to see that shit. Leaves a bad taste in my mouth. But for Mungia, I understand he's got a title. But is he really, really, really a top elite level junior middleweight right now? Or is he kind of a baby contender, you know, prospect slash junior contender still developing who just so happens to have a title? That's what I think he is. He's not ready for Jarrett Hurd. He's not ready for Jamel Charlo. And yes, I realize Charlo just lost to Harrison. Charlo's going to win the rematch by knockout, by the way. But I don't think he's ready for Charlo either. Maybe, and I emphasize the word maybe, a guy like Austin Trout, who's worn down. Maybe him. Irislandi Lara might be a little too much right now. So they need to pump the brakes, and they've done that. But um, look, this fight went the distance. Does that mean Mungia is overrated? No. It means Inoue is a tough guy who was determined, who wanted to finish on his feet. Styles make fights. Mungia had trouble making weight. He looked visibly tired. He was breathing from his mouth. Mungia still dominated this fight. He clearly won nine rounds, I'd say, right? Eight, nine rounds at least. Okay. But he did show holes in his game. And he's shown holes in his game a few times now. So everybody got excited when he beat the crap out of Saddam Ali and blew him out of there. But again, styles make fights. And that's one night of boxing, guys. What we've seen from Mugia since has not been as impressive. And I don't know how much longer he's going to make 154. Now, Demetrius Andre has been calling him out. If you're Mugia and his people, you stay away from Andre all day. Andre might shut him out in a box, literally. Andre might win 120-108 against Mungia right now. 
So they need to pump the brakes on anything like that. And if he's having that much trouble making 54, this is something we see from a lot of Mexican fighters as well. These guys killing themselves to make unnatural weights for too long. We don't know yet, but Canelo fighting at 154, then 155, that extra year or so that he did, did that take some time off his career? Did that take some time off his prime? It doesn't look like it right now, but five years from now, I'm telling you guys, it might start to show up. If I'm Team Mungia, I continue developing this kid, I move to 160 right now, seriously. I dumped it. You want to do one more defense of the title? Okay, I get it. Cash, you know, make some more cash. Cool. Do a homecoming or something. Cool. Move to 160 and start building yourself up there. Move up to 160 the right way. You know, put on some muscle because you're, you know you're going to be there eventually anyway. You're not going to fight Jarrett Hurd. You're not going to fight Jermel Charlo at 154. You know they're not going to do it. So move up to 160 now. Give your kids some room to breathe and develop. That's what I would do if I was with Team Ungia. All right, guys, that was it for last week. Let's preview the action we have coming up this week. Friday, February 1st, we have Showbox action from the Main Street Armory in Rochester, New York, upstate New York. And in the main event, Ronald Ellis, who is the older brother of welterweight prospect Rashidi Ellis, taking his 15-0-2 record against DeAndre Ware, who has a record of 12-1-2. This is a 10-round fight, 168 pounds. For those of you who don't know much about Ellis, um, Golden Gloves champ in 2010 actually beat Terrell Goucher to win those Golden Gloves. So uh, we'll see what he could do. Most people tend to feel that Rashidi Ellis is the better of the Ellis boxing brothers but uh, maybe Ronald will show us something in this headliner. Also on this card, Dominic Wade. Remember Dominic Wade? You gotta go back to April of 2016 at the Forum in Inglewood, where he went almost two rounds with Gennady Golovkin in a mandatory fight for the IBF title, and uh, was pummeled. Hasn't fought since, yo. It's been almost three years. That's how badly he was beat down that fight. He is going to be fighting on this card. Man, I saw that on the, on the list. I was like, whoa, Dominic Wade. I thought he was retired. Anyway, that's Friday night. Saturday night, we have a couple cards. So uh, over in Gr Greenwich, London, at the O2 Arena, Matchroom is putting on a card. This will be on Sky over there. And in the main event, Sergio Garcia, a Spanish fighter, Doing his first fight outside of Spain, he currently has the European Junior Middleweight title. He's 28-0 with 13 knockouts. Going up against Ted Cheeseman. The Cheeseman, 15-0 with 9 knockouts. So, obviously, this is, I don't want to say set up. That sounds bad. But this is lined up for the Cheeseman to win this European Junior Middleweight title. This is the biggest step up, at least on paper of his young career so let's see if he can get it done and he can pass this test now here in the states on espn we have really i believe the most stacked card of the year so far and again i know we're only a month in but to have a card this stacked one month into the year guys go back five years ago in boxing 
We didn't have cards like this in February. We didn't have cards like this in March. Shit didn't get heated up until like April, usually the boxing schedule. So as much as I'm concerned about kind of the different, the four corners right now of the boxing world here in America, where you've got like Fox, Showtime, The Zone, um, and ESPN, man, it's, it's causing competition because these guys have to justify the money that they're getting and they're putting on some quality cards, man. So, okay, Ford Center at the Star in Frisco, Texas. That is where the NFL's Dallas Cowboys train. This is a top rank and main events joint promotional card on ESPN. And in the main event, Eladir Alvarez going up against Sergey Kovalev, the first defense of Alvarez's WBO light heavyweight title. Of course, these two fought last August. And in the seventh round, Alvarez stopped Kovalev in brutal fashion, really just knocked him the hell out. And Kovalev was ahead at the time. The two judges had it 59-55. One judge had it 58-56. Kind of the same thing we've seen from Kovalev now a few times where he started really well, controlled distance, uh, using his athleticism, his very underrated athleticism to uh, do enough to win, score points and win rounds, and then just faded. And Alvarez who is very big for that division, started stalking him down, landed a great overhand right, dropped Kovalev. Kovalev got up, but he was done. And Alvarez jumped on him, finished the show. So Alvarez is 24-0. Kovalev is now 32-3-1. And we haven't heard anything else about Sergey Kovalev and the uh, so, so-called assault uh, on a woman in California. Apparently, you know, Court dates are scheduled and everything else. This fight's still going forward, obviously. Kovalev will have his day in court, and we'll see what happens. So I'm kind of uh, holding judgment until then. I'm not going to talk about that unless I get more information until then. If it really happened and Kovalev hit this woman, he's a piece of shit, and I'm done with him, and he should be out of the sport. You, you don't punch a woman, period, unless she's got a gun to your head and she's trying to kill you, you don't punch a woman. If you're a trained boxer and you're punching a civilian, period, as I said last week, you're a moron because your hands are registered lethal weapons, according to the government. If you punch a civilian, it's kind of the same thing as pointing a gun at them or pulling a knife on them. That's the way the government sees it. So you're a moron for doing that. Now, does any of that have any bearing on this fight? Yes and no, okay? Obviously, it is a distraction for Team Kovalev. And Team Alvarez would be stupid to think, oh man, Kovalev's probably all mixed up and I could take this fight lightly. He's got to come in here just as prepared and confident and ready as he was in the first fight. And I think he will because Alvarez has been waiting on the shelf for so long. He's, this is finally his big chance to shine. But, the way I look at this, you look at the trajectory of both men's careers, emotionally, physically, where they're at, it doesn't matter what was going on outside of the ring. I think Kovalev's going to lose this fight. I think we're all pretty much feeling now he's going to lose this fight. And I think Alvarez is going to stop him. It's not out of the realm of possibility for Kovalev to land something big and stop Alvarez. It could happen. Kovalev is heavy-handed, 
But I think he's coming into this fight with very shaky confidence. I think mentally and emotionally, he has not been the same since he got robbed against Andre Ward a few years back. I think that ruined him. It emotionally ruined him. And all the demons he was carrying with him, all the drinking issues and training issues and everything else, all came out after that. It blew the lid off and everything was exposed. And now we all know. Alvarez been waiting for his chance. He scored a big, you know, punched his ticket in the seventh round of that first fight last August. But now he's headlining as champion on ESPN. This is his big chance. And I think he's going to come in here and take care of business. And after this, man, I think Kovalev's done. You know, again, was not the same after the Andre Ward fights. But now, with everything else going on outside the ring and all the questionable things he's said over the years and everything else, dude, this is it. And he, I tell you guys, this could go one of two ways. Kovalev could, you know, get back to basics and really look pretty good early on and just lose a fight to a guy who's in the prime of his career and gets stopped in the mid-late rounds. Or this could implode really quick. And we could see Alvarez come in there, guns blazing in the first round and blow Kovalev out. Wouldn't be surprised. The, the fact that, you know, I, I can see this going so many different ways is why I'm excited for this fight. I'm actually more excited for this fight than any fight that's been on the schedule so far this year. I think that this is a very, very interesting fight. Again, it could be over really quickly, but it could get interesting if it goes rounds. So anyway, okay, we've got a bunch of other good fights on this damn card. We've got Richard Comey out of Ghana going up against Isa Shaniev from Russia fighting for the vacant IBF lightweight title. Comey, some people look at his record. If you haven't seen him, you look at his record, you'd be like, oh, this guy's a couple of losses to Robert Easter and Dennis Shafikov in 2016. They're not that great. Look at those losses a little closely, okay? Look at them closer. Split decision losses. Both of those fights, there are people out there who feel Comey won, deserved the decision, and got the short end of the stick in those split decisions. So Comey could very well be an undefeated fighter with wins over Easter and Shafikov, all right? So take that with you into this fight. I don't know much about Shani of the Russian, but uh, this should be a good quality fight. I know... Fighters out of Ghana always bring it. They're tough, tough fighters. Always bring it, have a great reputation for being hard, tough, just hard-nosed fighters. And, you know, the Russians, with all their background and skill, should be a good one. Also, Oscar Valdez going up against Carmine Tomassone out of Italy. 2016 Olympian for Italy. This is his first bout outside of Italia. For Valdez... This is his first bout since that uh, unanimous decision win over Scott Quigg last March where he broke his jaw. I'll never forget that night because I was standing ringside uh, with Steve Kim and a couple other media members who braved it. It was hilarious because Steve was wearing a uh, poncho and a lot of the California guys were, the California natives were wearing ponchos because it was a monsoon outside. It was raining. It felt like it rained 10 inches that night. I know that's impossible, but... It really felt like that. Great fight. A lot of action. Valdez fought very bravely against Quig, who didn't even try to make weight. It was huge. Much bigger than Valdez. Broke his jaw. 
the kid toughed it out. 24-0 with 19 knockouts. This will be the fifth defense of his WBO featherweight title. A bit of a layoff, almost a year, coming off an injury. But he's fighting a guy who, yeah, I get it, Tomasone is, is an Olympian and everything, but again, first bout outside of Italy, hasn't fought anybody. This is set up for Valdez to look pretty good. Also on this card, the 2018 Prospect of the Year, who had a knockout of the, of the year candidate against Mason Menard, Teofimo Lopez, 11-0, nine knockouts. Going up against the best opponent, most experienced opponent of his young career, Diego Magdaleno. This is a 10-rounder. These are lightweights. And yes, there's several Magdaleno brothers. Diego is seen as the weaker of the Magdaleno boxing brothers. But 12-year pro fought Roman Martinez, Terry Flanagan, and some other quality fighters. 12-year pro going up against a kid who's making his 12th pro fight. So the experience level here, very, very high for Magdaleno, very, very low for Lopez. Let's see what this kid's got. Because if he, he's been blowing everybody out, right? If he gets in there and dominates Magdaleno and stops him, this kid is the real deal. If he gets in there and struggles and ekes out a decision win, okay, he's still a prospect. He still needs work. And all the talk of fighting Vasily Lomachenko and all that can be put on the shelf for now. I think Lopez is going to score a late rounds knockout in this fight. I like what I see from this kid. I do think, though, that he's going to face some challenges and see some things in this fight he hasn't seen yet as a pro. That's great. I hope Magdaleno can really, really bring the fight to Lopez and force him to dig a little deeper than he's had to so far. We're really going to see what this kid is made of. But I'm telling you, um, I'm on the Lopez, the Teofimo Lopez train. I think that he, and you know, it's just eye test, but I think he's the real deal. We'll find out. You know, styles make fights. Anything can happen on any given night of boxing. But again, Magdaleno's been in there with some good quality fighters. Roman Martinez, Terry Flanagan. If if Lopez gets in there and dominates and beats and especially stops Magdaleno in more impressive fashion than those other guys, those former titleists, world titleists did, that's a big deal, guys. So I can't wait for that ESPN card, man. That is a stacked card. Those are four good quality fights. There are some good fighters on that card. Looking forward to that one. All right, guys, remember your fee. Spreaker, get over there and follow us, okay? Make sure you do that, guys. That helps us out, and that will help the show eventually get over to Spotify and iHeartRadio. All right, guys. See you at the fights.